Welcome to Board Game Binge, the place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable board game content from across the industry. I'm your host, James Staley, and in this episode, we're chatting with Brian Hank, president of Pull the Pin Games. His company makes light, approachable strategy games for large groups, one of which is the Zorro Dice Game. The expansion, Stunts and Allies, is in its final 24 hours on Kickstarter. Brian, welcome to the binge. How you doing? Thanks, James. Yeah, um, doing all right. See, it's the final final 24 hours, and yeah, it's uh, it's always it's always a roller coaster uh, on a campaign. Uh, pretty stressful, you know. You got just like this limited amount of time, you know, just to get get everything done, make sure everybody knows about the campaign, who wants to to jump in on it. So yeah, it's been a little well, crazy. But let yeah. me just say thanks because I know how insane <laughs> the last 48 hours are. So the fact that you've actually carved out 30 minutes to chat with us is uh, is so awesome and super cool of you. So uh, so thanks again for that. So let's talk a little bit about how you got into this industry. So your company's called uh, Pull the Pin Games. Uh, it was formerly Overworld Games, I guess was the name of it before? Yep. And, and why yeah. did you change the name? What was the, the genesis of this name change? Um, well, in general, um, you know, we had these... Uh, my and I say we my uh, my business partner uh, Clayton Skanky is uh, is my partner here partner in crime. Uh, we've been working on games, making games for a long time, uh, many years, and using Kickstarter too. So, been doing it for a while. Um, and uh, at some point, we just decided that you know you know we kind of do it a long time ago. We were like, hey, we can maybe you know do this full time. Like this can be our full time gig. And yeah, um, we don't really have those illusions anymore. It's just something <laughs> we do for fun. Um, it's just, you know, it's really hard to make money in this industry. Yeah. Really, really hard. Um, you can do it, but, um, we've kind of given up on that, uh, as like, this is going to be our full-time jobs and we have good jobs and we have, you know, we, we like stable incomes and, and everything. So we just do it for fun. But, um, so yeah, I mean, at, at some point we were just kind of like, okay, we're going to keep, you know, making these games, we're going to do Kickstarter campaigns. And, um, you know, are we, well, for one thing, overworld games we had this like pixel art logo um yeah. and uh so people thought we we made video games we actually used to but um we don't anymore now it's just board games and so we wanted to get rid of that and so we just you know kind of took took a step back like this was after like four years of making games we we published a whole bunch of them um what are we good at you know what are we not good at uh, mm -hmm. what are you know what do we want our company to be about and you know the what we enjoy making the types of games uh, we enjoy making are are the very you know fairly light games like approachable that you can play with anybody um but then there's still enough strategy that you know someone who's a real gamer can still enjoy it and so that's what we make um we also really like you know bringing emotion into the game like yeah you know a, you know a big usually kind of like um kind of escalates to a point in the game where it's like the big reveal uh, and then, and that is kind of like, you know, almost like an explosion and like pulling the pin on a grenade and like explode, like, oh, that's the moment. That's the moment oh, you talk cool. about after the game. Um, and so we kind of wanted our, our, our brand to fit that. And then we also thought like, it'd be cool to have a box that like opens up and you pull a pin to open the box. And so we, we built a box around that. And so our games all come in a box like that. So you kind of have that experience of pulling a pin, uh, when you, when you open up each of our games. Now, can you put the pin back in afterwards or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's actually, it's attached to the box. So it's like a sleeve box. So you like go to yeah. open it up and then it's a magnetic box and you can open it. looks really nice. And oh, then you put it, cool. you just put it back, put it back in there and then you'll pull the pin every time you want to 
break that out and play it. I love this idea of knowing who you are, right, as a company. And, you know, often you'll see game companies that kind of have this identity crisis, right? Where they'll have a, yeah. you know, a, they'll do one game and then they'll do another game. And then all of a sudden they'll go and do a game that's like, uh, you know, D&D based, right? Yeah. So they'll do 20 minute to, to 40 minute games. And also they'll come up with a game that's like a three hour long game because they, they see the allure of the dollars, right? With the plastic crack and things like that on, on Kickstarter. Yeah. And you kind of have this kind of um, uncertainty as a consumer looking at that saying, you know, what do these guys stand for? So, you know, I think it's really cool that you guys have said, you know, we're going to carve off these kind of light but strategy games, fun for everybody. Uh, larger number of players can, can get in on the action. I call them gateway games myself. So I like those kind of games for like if I go to a game night and, you know, there's maybe some people that are joining that game night for the first time and trying to get into the industry, trying to socialize, you know, something where it really sucks if you only have like a four player game that you're playing, right? It's great if you have a game that allows you to maybe go up to six players or more where you say, hey, why don't you guys come and join us? And we're about to start a game and get these people in. So I think that's super cool. I know that the the gateway game side of the business takes a lot more education, right? Because the people that you're trying to get into those games aren't necessarily the hardcore Kickstarter people. On the mm -hmm. flip side, the benefit is, is those are the games that are more likely to be out of Barnes & Noble, or at a Walmart or at a Target or, you know, one of these retail outlets. So, you know, you kind of have the balance of the two sides. You got to try to figure out what is it you want to go after. So um, that's pretty cool. How did you guys get into gaming in the first place? And like, what do you guys do for a living? Like, what's your day job? Um, I'm a, I'm a software engineering manager. So I have a, I manage a team of software engineers, um, actually just starting a new job on Monday. So hmm. uh, I'm excited about that. But um, I've previously been um, made mobile apps and websites and, uh, that's kind of what I've been doing for a long time. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, I'm, I'm in, uh, I'm in the San Francisco Bay area. So, you know, like it, you get used to like a certain salary and it's hard yeah. to go. It would be hard to go to, you know, make board games and, you know, try to make like, you know, you know, a, a small, a much smaller, you know, amount per year, you know, we, we used to want to do that, but like, yeah. I'm not going to do that. But um, yeah, we, we got into it. Clayton and I were making games. Um, I used to live with, you know, in the same state as him in South Dakota. Yeah. Uh, and so we, uh, we played games together there. We played like Magic the Gathering and mm. Robo Rally and, you know, uh, a Hero Quest and D&D &D and we played those types of games. And uh, uh, we, uh, when I moved away out of South Dakota, um, we want, we still wanted to stay connected and we still did. And we did that through, uh, making video games. And so we made, hmm. uh, Xbox games and games for the PC and mobile wow. games. And so we did that. He would do all the art and animation. And then I would do all the develop software, you know, development. Hmm. Um, and so that worked well. And then, um, it, and eventually though, like it was, it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of work to maintain like mobile apps or you know oh, any yeah. you know an xbox game like because yeah. things change resolutions on phone chain phones change you know screen like size. processing power yeah. screen size everything changes and you have to keep maintaining it operating system upgrades that kind of thing um and so we make these games and then now it's like our whole all we do is support these games that we made a long time ago we kind of want to go make something new yeah but with board games you get to do that because you can you can make it once and manufacture you know you know, a couple thousand copies um, and you're done. If you want to be, you know, you can yeah. make expansions or you can do more print runs, but if you don't want to, you can just be done. And and so we really like the appeal of that. So we switched to board games and we, we aren't going back. 
Was it was there anything about the video game side that helped inform your design on the board game side? Hmm. Um I wouldn't say I mean, yeah, I mean just going through making a game. You know, mm-hmm. you 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 have to think about what do what does my target audience want? Um, what is fun, what is not fun. Uh, user interface design is a lot, um, I would say probably a lot more important in like a, a digital game, but mm-hmm. it's also critical in a, you know, tabletop game too, you know, the graphic design and how that looks and how easy it is to understand. So we learned a lot of lessons that way. Um, and I think on the art direction side, you know, more for for Clayton, you know, he, he learned a lot too about, you know, what works good visually. Um, so we learned some of those kind of small lessons, but it's pretty different, you know, especially from like the business side, you know, there's, yeah. um, it's just way different to try to sell a physical item than a digital one. Now you guys have licensed, uh, and we'll, we'll talk about your, um, your, the Zorro game in a second, but I mean, you've got franchises, right? So you got the Zorro, the dice game, you got good cop, bad cop, new Salem, Barker's Row, Leaders of Euphoria. Um, so you've got these franchises and some of these are based on licensed IP. How did you get into the to, to the licensing? Like, where was that? How, was it something you guys had experience with in the past, or how did you kind of build that bridge? Uh, as as I think a lot of Kickstarter creators, uh, we were looking for the magic bullet. So mm. at, at one point, we were like, I know the magic bullet is to get a licensed game, and then you can bring the audience of that IP uh, into your Kickstarter campaign, and you mm-hmm. can you know make millions of dollars and there were some campaigns that did that and they were very successful and made hundreds of thousands of dollars like a long time ago and and maybe even millions um but then like as but like for a lot of them those games never came out and they you know they 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 just didn't they they didn't price it right so that they had enough margin to handle all the costs that were going to come up and most mm-hmm. of them had just all these minis and um and how yeah. and those can be super expensive uh to to create as well um so like i don't know they made a lot of mistakes and uh uh so the, it looked like that was the magic bullet and then so like i i went out and like found a bunch of licenses to get for us and um paid some guaranteed, you know, money to yeah. the licensors and, um, and then, you know, tried, tried that, you know, that, that model. And for one thing, um, I didn't do a good enough job with it. I didn't do a good enough job bringing the, the, uh, the fans of that IP to, uh, to the Kickstarter campaign. Um, I'm still trying to figure out how to do that. Mm. Um, and that's, I think, one key, one thing um, that uh, that I would need to improve. And um, even for Zorro, like there's so many Zorro fans out there, yeah. but it's really hard to find them and like to get them to know about the campaign and to know what Kickstarter is. And, you know, a lot of them just don't know anything about Kickstarter. So, um, yeah, we thought so we thought that was the magic bullet. Um, it's not. Uh, and there's uh, there's also uh, especially if you don't kind of do it right. But yeah. Um, but, but how do you find them though? Like, did you just Google them or did you go through a broker or how did, how did you find these, these license holders? Uh, different ways, um, different ways. So we did, so just to go through it, we did, um, uh, leaders of euphoria. Um, mm-hmm. so that's good cop, bad cop style with, uh, Stonemeyer games, um, yep. using their license. Uh, we did, uh, the valiant card game. So the Val- valiant comics, um, using their license, uh, Zorro, uh, the Zorro dice game, 
Um, and then uh, what's the other one I'm forgetting? Total Recall. So that mm. one was another one we did, the, the movie Total Recall with Arnold Schwarzenegger. So those are the, I believe those are all of them that we've done, uh, licensed games. And so, but I think each one I, I found in a different way. There's the best way to do it, I think, is to go to licensing conventions. Okay, and there's, yeah. there's a few big ones. Yeah. Uh, and, and so it's all about um, it's all about licensors there saying, hey, here, here's my property. Who wants to make, you know, stuffed animals or, you know, you know, uh, phone cases or what, whatever it is. Um, and they'll, they'll kind of, you can just go to their booth and talk to them about it. Um, or there's also these kind of, kind of, um, this, yeah, these brokers that will, that are, represent a whole bunch of brands. And mm-hmm. then you can go to them and say, hey, I have a, I can make a board game for one of your licenses, which one makes the most sense. And you can kind of talk through that with them. So there's a couple of those that I've worked with as well. Um, and so that's how I got a couple of the other licenses. Um, so with Zorro, what came first? Was it the, did you have the game kind of worked out first or did you kind of go and get the license first and say, okay, we know we want to do something to do with Zorro. We'll get Zorro and then we'll figure out the game. Like which, it was a chicken before the egg. Which one came first? Definitely get the license first. Yeah. Cause um, you know, you don't know which one, which licenses you're going to get. You might mm-hmm. have one that you really want. I want to do a Halo game and mm-hmm. you try to get the Halo license and like, uh, that's $50,000 just to like, you know, as a, as a minimum guarantee to get it, I'm not going to pay that. Or they're like, no, I don't know who you are. I, I don't want you to make a game in the Halo universe because you're going to screw it up uh, or you might. And I don't, we don't want to take that risk. So, and there, there's a whole bunch of things you kind of have to, um, you have to talk through and, and work it out before you get one. Uh, but I entertained a lot of different licenses, considered a lot of different ones and decided which ones I wanted to pursue that would make a good game, a game I care about, a game I want to make. Um, and Clayton, you know, me and Clayton want to make. And uh, so a lot of things that came into it. Um, but yes, so I, yeah, hopefully that, that helps. Yeah, it does. Uh, so, with, so with Zorro specifically, why don't you walk us through this game? I'm just doing a screen share here for people that are, uh, that are watching live and people that are listening will try to use descriptive words. Um, but this campaign, uh, congratulations so far on this. Uh, you know, you've obviously gone way over your funding goal. Uh, your funding goal, I believe, was twelve. I'm going to put it in Canadian dollars because that's the only way I can see it, and it's always large, sure. right? So, yeah. uh, your goal was twelve point five thousand dollars. You hit twenty four thousand dollars, so you crushed that. Awesome, four hundred twenty backers, and this is an expansion off an original game that hit forty seven thousand dollars. So it's clear that this franchise uh, has an audience. Has uh, this game, not even the franchise, but the game itself seems to have an audience that uh that really likes this and is interested in it when you see the reviews online people just love love the way this game plays so walk us through kind of how the the core essence of this game works is it's a dice game right kind of that yahtzee style and then and then what the expansion kind of brings to the table if you don't mind yeah and in touching on reviews too it's it's funny because we had like everybody loved the game you know for reviews um except um, we had uh, um, uh, one Dice Tower review that was just on the solo game that was not mm. good, but um, like they just didn't like the solo game. Just hmm. you know, cool. Um, that's that's fine with me. I I love it, but um, but that's the one I hear everybody talking about because it was on the Dice Tower. And, you know, like they've got like ten thousand views, and yeah. people are like, you know, didn't get very good reviews. Like, oh, God, not one, everybody's gonna one love one bad game. review, the, and yeah, it was only on. Yeah, it's only on a solo game. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah, those reviews are, they can like kind of make or break a game. Um, but uh, yeah, so so it's a, yeah, Yahtzee style or King of Tokyo. So, you know, you're, you're Zoro, you're trying to become the next Zoro. So Zoro's retiring. It's kind of like Mask of Zoro yeah, uh, movie, cool. you know, uh, uh, theme. But 
Um, so you're trying to prove that you deserve to become the next Zorro, prove to Zorro that it, that it should be you. Um, so you choose a heroic uh, feat you want to attempt, and then you go there, it has a requirement of dice you need to get, and then it's the three roles like Yahtzee or King of Tokyo to try to get those, to, mm -hmm. to get those dice. Um, and then if you're successful, you can get some equipment. Um, you can, uh, if you get certain heroic feats, you can uh, get additional dice to use that only you can use. But it's mostly about building up uh, a set of equipment that works well together to prepare you for a final villain that comes out. And then whoever can defeat that villain at the end will win the game and they become mm -hmm. the next Zorro. So that's the basics of it. That's cool. And then this expansion, and the game doesn't take that long to play either, right? You can play this in what, 20 to 40 minutes? Yeah, I mean, once you get good at it, it's like a 15 minute game probably. Awesome. But um, yeah, the first time you play, it's probably going to take you like, you know, 30, 40 minutes to play. Yeah, I love those games that are like, prime. I call them primers, right? So when we have game night, yeah. I like the sandwich, right? So I have to go to the primer where you're waiting for people to show up, right? So you got the kind of the stragglers come in. So you want to, you don't want to do a game that's too long, right? Because then yeah. you're into a game and then people are waiting to show up, then they have to wait or they're going to go play some other people. So you got your primer. Play a little yeah. bit of a longer game, maybe an hour long game, middle of the night, maybe a couple of those, and then near the end of the night when you have the closers, right? So you have the kind of stragglers that stay to the end. Those are the times I like to pull out these primers again. So that's uh, it's cool. So how does the expansion work? What do you get out of this expansion? Yeah, the, the expansion and the way we did it was the base game is very, like you can play with anybody. Even non-gamers can play this game. Yeah, that's um, cool. Yeah, um, and then the next expansion, which was part of the original campaign called Heroes and Villains, um, that adds just kind of more. It adds more mm. equipment, more scoundrels, more villains, more heroic feats, just more stuff. And, and they're a little bit more complex, but also a little bit more interesting. And they allow you to do more combos, mm -hmm. um, which people like. So it's like, it's it'll take you up to the next level, kind of like that's more of like an intermediate gamer would, they would want that expansion, I think, to to give them just kind of more stuff to do and more things to kind of more level, levers to pull kind of. Yeah. Um, and then this expansion, though, is kind of takes it to the next level. So there's uh, there's even more, uh, you know, kind of complexity or, or things at your disposal as you play the game um, to take it even to the to the next level where you would not want to play this with a, a non gamer or even a probably even a casual gamer. Hmm. Um, there's kind of too much going on. Um, there's like a, a mind game of uh, you have an ally. So basically it adds allies is the main thing. Yeah. Um, and your ally goes out to a heroic feat. And um, if you accomplish a heroic feat where someone else's uh, ally is, their ally gains a level because um, they're kind of watching you and watching you be successful. Um, uh, also, if you fail at a heroic feat, you'll also, your ally will gain a level. So these allies are gaining levels. Hmm as they gain levels, they get more abilities um, that, that help you, that you can use. Um, and then eventually, if you can max, get them to the max level, you get an extra die. Um, so there's definitely more going on. There's more uh, scoundrels and villains as well. And those are a little more complex, a little more challenging. Um, and there's, an, there's a mechanic also that lets you, um, that is a weakness. Your ally comes in, it gives you good stuff, but it also gives you a weakness that you have to kind of mitigate with the, the equipment and the, the abilities that you have and the dice and how you choose to roll them. Um, and then is that also, the hand or is that, that that's the, that yellow hand uh, thing or no, is, it, is it different for each guy? Well, yeah, kind of, okay. but it is different for each character. So like that is one of the symbols. And so yeah. now you have to get in, that's grab. Um, mm -hmm. And so you would have to get an extra grab every time you fight a scoundrel or a villain. Um, I don't really talk about scoundrels, but scoundrels kind of come out uh, throughout the game too, in the middle of the game. They're a little, little more challenging too. But mm -hmm. um, the last thing it does too, is it lets you, um, uh, 
in the middle of a turn, even if you chose to go to one heroic feat or, cho or chose to fight a scoundrel, yeah. um, you can use a stunt token to actually change it based on your first roll. Yep. So if you didn't get what you need for the first one, then you can switch to another one. Um, or if you're not, if your dice are just kind of not rolling the way you need them to, um, you can also use stunt tokens to reroll dice. So those are all the mechanics. So it's like a lot, a lot more stuff you can do uh, in this expansion. And there's something I read, and I'm not sure it was in this one or the prior one where you can force other players to help you. Is that that is one? a, yeah, that's one of the abilities of one of the allies that you can get. That is, um, um, that is uh, Sergeant Garcia lets you do that. So that's yeah. one of the things that, that he does, but that that's one mechanic too. I didn't talk about, um, and it's in the base game. It's in everything, but um, when you go somewhere, you can choose to have somebody help you. It's kind of a little bit like a munchkin style thing. We're like, yeah. Hey, anyone want to help me on this? Um, and if somebody chooses to do that, you can use their equipment and they get into a fourth role uh, at the end. So like you get a much greater chance that you're going to actually accomplish that heroic feat. Um, but then they get a random equipment as a, as a bonus for helping you. So it's, it's really good for both. Um, yeah. And it really brings in, because it goes up to eight players, uh, the game. So it really brings people in who may be, you know, we don't want them sitting there waiting for their turn for seven other people to go. This lets them contribute and join in on battles throughout. You know, if they want to help, they can jump in and help. Uh, That's awesome. So, kind of reminds yeah. me of Catan. I hate playing yeah. Catan, by the way. It's one of my <laughs> the bane of my existence, that game now. It's banned from our house. What? But because we Get have a couple game. players that don't think about their turn until it's their turn. Oh, okay. Right. So you're just <laughs> like, it's like watching paint dry, right? For your turn to come back if you're playing more than like three players. So I'm glad when I see games like this that have something in there for the people who's, uh, when, in, when they're waiting for their turn to come. You've got a lot of other cool stuff in this campaign. Like it's almost like someone can kind of customize their version of the game with all these different various like add-ons and things like that. Can you talk like you got like metal dice, you got like a custom cup. Can you talk about some of this stuff that you decide to kind of, uh, you know, build in dice tray is another one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, using, uh, you know, we had, we have the Zorro license. People love Zorro mm -hmm. and, you know, people really want to, one of the things that, that I think they want from this game is to really, um, uh, get in, you know, get into the Zorro universe. It was, it was something that I think um, we did that Total Recall game that I mentioned before, mm -hmm. um, and that one did not fun on on Kickstarter. We never made that game, um, and one of the one of the mistakes we made there was that it was a you know a, we didn't um, let people get into that Total Recall um, universe as much as as we could have. We didn't we didn't have a whole lot of add-ons. We didn't have the game is pretty simple. It was a social deduction game. It was a good cop bad cop style game, mm -hmm. um, and we just didn't add enough Total Recall to it. And so that's one thing we wanted to to um, to write uh, in in this campaign. We wanted to have other ways for you to kind of you know you know get Zorro stuff, and you can get a a dice cup like a Zorro dice cup. Yeah. So you can roll. You know, it's fun to like go you know and then you know roll your dice. Um, a lot of people like doing that, and we have a Zorro like a super high quality like um, uh, tray that you can roll your dice into, so they don't go flying off the table. Yeah. Um, so that kind of stuff, metal dice uh, too, we have, um, they, they're super, super shiny. And just like, it's like, you know, Zoro uses a metal like sword when he fights. And yeah. so you can use metal dice when you play the game. And, and you know, putting all these things together, it's like, it's a, it's a impressive Zoro experience more so, you know, than, than what we do. And we try to keep our games at a low price. So we have smaller acrylic dice in the base game. This lets you have these big chunky, you know, like metal dice too. So it's just kind of, um, 
it just lets you get more into Zorro than, than, than you might otherwise. That's cool. It's certainly you want to get the uh, dice tray, I think, if you're going to get the metal dice, just so I have a glass tabletop. Oh, yeah. <laughs> my house. Yeah. So it's like clang, right? Hopefully you don't <laughs> uh, smash your table. Yeah. Um, so in all these campaigns you've done, you guys have done a lot. So how many campaigns have you guys done in totality on, on Kickstarter? Um, just checked. Uh, 14 total. 14. I think this is number 14. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, 14 total. So it's been doing it for a while. So you've got we a bit like of experience it. doing Kickstarters now, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah. Have you found it's it's formulaic in, in, in how you kind of structure them each time going? Like, have you got to a point where it becomes pretty much a formula or do you have to keep changing it up every time? Yeah, we change it up. I mean, there's always, you know, there's always lessons learned from every campaign. And mm-hmm. and um, I always send out surveys too, um, like right after a campaign usually. Um, and then if I remember like, a like you know, after it's been delivered too, so I can mm-hmm. get a, after the campaign, what did you like? What did you not like? What could we have done better? Um, and then we get some feedback that way. And then after it gets delivered, then like, okay, now still like, you know, what can we do better next time? Um, and that helps us improve. So we'll always make improvements, but we do have, you know, pretty set, like, you know, we've, we found these to work and work for what we do and the types of games we make and, you know, the places we think, you know, people who like our style of games will be and, you yeah. know, for our marketing. And so, yeah, it's pretty formulaic now, but, um, but all we, we always make changes and we always, we usually try some like weird experiment too, um, yeah. on each campaign, at least one. I guess like any industry, it's, it's always evolving, right? Yeah, so you're going to get that, uh, that constant evolution where, you know, what worked a year ago may not be as effective this year. And there could be something new. Somebody else is trying that it, uh, could be kind of that hook that uh, gets you to that next level. Yeah. What would you say is the hardest lesson you've learned in those 14 campaigns? Um, I mean the, the process of going through a campaign, like it is, it can, it is an emotional roller coaster. even, yeah. you know, after 14, it's, you know, it's rough. Uh, you have to have thick skin and you have to, um, and you have I to call kind it of soul crushing. Yeah, that is, that is, that is a perfect term for it. Yeah, it really can be. Uh, and it was originally too, like, yeah. even though we had successful campaigns early on, um, there were times, you know, where it did feel that way and it was just like depressing and, um, you know, there's, there's high highs and low lows. And, um, and now before they were just like, you know, like major, you know, but then the more we do now they're, they're still there, but now it's like, yeah. you know, it's not as big a deal. Like, and, and the more you do, the more you get prepared for the questions that come up and, you know, negative comments and how to handle those and, um, and, and messages from retailers about like, what do they want? Like, I know what retailers want, you know, and I can, um, so I know, you know, how to answer their questions. So mm-hmm. all those things just kind of get easier. It does get easier, but, but still like, it still is stressful. Um, how do you carry your audience over or can you carry your audience over from campaign to campaign? It's surprising. Like I thought that we would have, um, a huge overlap every single time. I, I think we will, or, you know, earlier on I did when I was more naive, but, um, what I found now that is that there is very little overlap really, you know, like if you're lucky, you'd get 10% from a previous campaign and, um, and, and I, that's not from like what we, I know we, we deliver a good high quality product and our games are fun and we, you know, yeah. are very transparent and communicative and we deliver on time. Like we do everything like pretty much right. Um, so there's nothing that, you know, I, I think would keep that we do that would keep someone from backing a future campaign of ours, but they still just like don't. And, and it, it just really surprises me. Like 
you know, these people, you build this kind of community for this game and you kind of, you talk to people in the comments and messages and stuff. And um, I'm, I would think they would just come back for the next campaign. But I think people, you know, by the time you do it, like we'll do like one a year, um, mm. you know, and people change, you know, maybe they aren't back to Kickstarters the next yeah. year. Maybe they aren't, yeah, they don't even see the email, you know, email reminder that, that comes in when you launch or, you know, they just kind of, they kind of go do their own thing and um, maybe get into other types of games or, um, I don't know, but for some reason they, they don't. Um, but we do, um, we did just start a, a loyalty program, uh, hmm. um, over the last year. Uh, and so, uh, we have a mobile app and I'm a software engineer, you know, so I can, yeah. you know, just make it and it's easy. I wouldn't recommend other people do it, but you can download the mobile app on Android or iOS and you can log in with your Kickstarter email. It'll list all the campaigns you back from us. Um, and then you get, um, you get perks for, um, for, for the more things I guess you backed, you know, the hmm. more points you gain and uh, you'll get a bigger discount on shipping that way. You can get a promo oh, code cool. for a discount on shipping, which is really cool. That's what I think most people want, but mm-hmm. you can also get more um, involved in the process of making games and come to our playtesting sessions and private sessions. And um, uh, you know, we're, you know, we'll, we'll play a game with you. Like creators yeah. will come play and play new games or, or existing games. And so you, you have the option of doing that. So, so how have you found way, the shipping rates change? It seems to be all over, uh, you know, the board game industry. Now everybody's talking about how shipping rates have changed. Have they changed much for you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for everybody, I mean, it's freight yeah. shipping, you know, I think you're talking about freight shipping, you know, mm-hmm. so that's for those who don't know, um, shipping from, you know, wherever you manufacture, like in China, um, to fulfillment centers who are going to ship it out locally. So that freight shipping part where you put it on a big boat and send it out to different fulfillment centers, that's what's gone up like, you know, three times as much as it was, uh, a year and a half ago, um, or more. Um, so it's that, that, that used to, it used to be like, you know, maybe a dollar per game that you'd spend on that. Uh, and so that was like, I can absorb that. Um, but now it's like $3 per game or $4 or $5 per game. And, when you have a game that's 20 bucks, you know, you can't just absorb, you know, a $4 per copy increase. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you got to do something about it. So, um, and then the good news something... is that everybody is talking about it. And yeah. I think, so that's, that's kind of almost priming the pump, so to speak. Right. So I think yeah. enough people are talking about that. People can start expecting that they are unfortunately going to start seeing the average game costs go up to accommodate some of this. That taxes yeah. is another big one in, uh, yeah. in Europe as well. Right. Yep. So you've yep. created these franchises and how are you guys moving forward? Are you going to continue to kind of add on to these franchises and build, you know, these worlds out or do you have some new uh, concepts that you guys are going to come forward with? Yeah. Um, and we are, it kind of depends. I mean, it depends on what we want to do, what we feel like doing, what we mm-hmm. hear from other people who are playing the games. Like I really want a good cop, bad cop expansion, or I, you know, people get, you know, really excited about, you know, or the Zorro dice game. And, you know, like we need another expansion that does all these things. And people on this campaign have been talking about that, like ideas for the expansion. And and we've been working on different modules for, for Zorro uh, also for good cop, bad cop. We've been play testing our next expansion for that. It's going to happen. Um, but it's just a matter of when and when it fits with kind of what we want to do and what we yeah. think, you know, makes sense for the company. But um, next, we've done two expansion campaigns in a row. So it's time for a new base game. Okay. Um, so uh, so our next new base game, it's it's called Ostrich Scramble. That, that could change. Oh, that sounds cool. Um, yeah, but it's just uh, you're you're an ostrich and you're trying to uh, 
you're trying to uh, clothe your ostrich. Uh, it's running around in its underwear, uh, trying to clothe your ostrich, but you're like bouncing around trying to grab these garments and like using these gadgets against the other ones. It's just like yeah. zany, wacky fun. Oh, um, awesome. Yeah, that things are not going to go as planned. So we're we're uh, heavily playtesting that one. That'll be the new new next base game uh, that we make. So we're excited about that one. No, that's wild. Well, for anybody that wants to back this particular Kickstarter campaign, you are in your last 19 hours. I encourage people to check out the campaign page. I'm going to place it in the show notes. So I'll make it very easy for everybody. If you're watching the video or if you're listening to even the podcast, check out the show notes, the link to the, uh, the Zorro dice. So it's the Zorro dice game. Is that how you, that's it. Show up the Zorro the dice search? game. Yep. Okay. Yep. And, uh, and then, so if somebody wants to kind of join your, um, your following, uh, for pull the pin, cause there's going to be a lot of other properties that they may be interested in as well. How best do they follow you guys? Um, we're everywhere that you would expect us to be. Find us on uh, Twitter and Instagram, uh, and we're all we're pull the pin games on on those platforms. Um, you can join our newsletter. That's also good. Um, we only send something out like maybe once a quarter. Yeah. Uh, really, it's mostly when we launch a Kickstarter campaign or like we have mm-hmm. something coming to stores. Uh, pretty rare, so we we uh, we will um, be nice to your inbox. Uh, but yeah, join our newsletter at pullthepingames.com. And, uh, so that's a good way. Um, I'm on Twitter as forbidden limb. Uh, and that, uh, uh, I, I, I post mainly about like game design, like, you know, news and, you know, uh, tips and tricks and stuff. So um, your podcast too, right? You get into the business of board games on your podcast. It's literally called board game business podcast, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Come check that out. Um, uh, Jeremy commander is, uh, is my co-host on that. And so we just talk about the business side and we really get into the nitty gritty details. And if that is interesting to you, um, then, uh, yeah, check it out. Board game business. If you're just into like playing games and and reviews and stuff, uh, probably not, you're not going to (laughs) find what you want there <laughs> well we seem to have a big mix of uh, of listeners of this podcast and i know there's a lot of people that reach out to me asking questions specifically about the business side so cool. sounds like a cool podcast to check out as well if anybody's interested brian i want to wish you all the best on this campaign you're crushing it it's doing amazing can't wait to see where it ends up i guess when i wake up tomorrow and i check the uh, the stats we'll see how much further you went past that twenty thousand. but as we all know hockey sticks in the last 48 hours so i sure you got lots of dollars still pouring in and good luck in this coming year. You All right. Care. Thanks for having me. Cheers. This has been an episode of the Board Game Binge Podcast, hosted by James Staley, produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner, with original music by Nick Smith. If you would like to watch these interviews live, simply join the Facebook group Board Game Binge, and you'll get access to live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content from across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time. Thank you.